A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror and Tom Hopkinson of the Sunday Mirror. Here we go again. This week's storyline involves Manhunt United, managed by Jose Machiavelli. Confused? You will be. Jose is moody or magnificent, according to taste. His boss, Ed, could do you a great deal on a branded tractor, but frankly, he's clueless about football. Conflicting messages are being sent through whispers and moans. Any idea how this ends? <laughs> well, I think it'll be more of the same over the coming weeks. I think after the international break, uh, the cracks that are being papered over uh, by the victory, thrilling as it may have been over Newcastle, are going to get a stiff examination at the hands of Chelsea, who are rampant at the moment, and Juventus, who know how to score goals too. It's all very easy to come back against a, a Newcastle side that have not been two goals ahead in the Premier League at all mm. uh, before uh, Saturday and really didn't know what to do. The players all got nosebleeds. But against sides who do know how to close it out, who do know how to take advantage of the many problems within that Manchester United side, I think we'll be back to where we were last Friday with apprehension, frustration and anger and a big decision for the people who run the club to make. Yeah, and we all know, we've all been around long enough to know that once the bricks start going through the boardroom window instead of the manager's office, you've got an issue. Yeah, massive issue. Um, they're not going to like that at all, Ed Woodward, under serious pressure. Um, I agree with Darren. I, I don't think there is any other end game to this, end result to this, than, than Mourinho going. Um, I know uh, there's lots of talk over the weekend that it, it could be as early as the weekend. And, and I, I genuinely believe that had Manchester United lost to Newcastle, that, that Mourinho would have been out of a job, whether it had happened on uh, Saturday night, whether it was Sunday or whether it was sometime this week. Um, I, I think there would have been so many people calling for him uh, at that point. And, and, the, uh, and, and as you said, the, the songs that were sung at Old Trafford about the, the, the board and Ed Woodward in particular, I, I think there would have been a, a response to that. Um, everyone's focusing on this last 20 minutes and this amazing, incredible turnaround. But as Darren said, well, this is against Newcastle. What was happening for the 70 minutes before that? to be 2-0 down against a side who've really been struggling this year when you've got World Cup winners in your side. You've got a bloke uh, on the bench earning 400 grand a week, 500 grand a week. I mean, it's just incredible that Manchester United were in that position in the first place. So I've been one of Jose Mourinho's staunchest defenders for, for years because I, I enjoyed dealing with him when he's been at Chelsea and, and, and been a London-based reporter. who have a lot of interaction with him down there. And I think the players... They need to take a lot of responsibility, whereas he seems to be getting all the flack. But I, I think it has got to a point now where it's toxic. And where, as I say, whether the end game comes this week, next week, I think it has to come at the end of the season at the latest. Mm. Yeah, I say we've all been around a bit in, in this profession. Uh, you know, we know David McDonnell. 
the guy who did the original Daily Mirror story as a, as a respected and experienced journalist, mm. not someone who will pluck something out of the air. No. Can you just give the viewers and the listeners a bit of an insight into almost like the mentality of breaking a story like that? You don't do that unless you're pretty sure of your, your stuff. Absolutely, because social media now means that you can help be held <clears throat> accountable for stories like that. The subject of those stories, in many cases, will have their say on social media. So what you do is you do as much as you can to make sure that you've got the story right. It's very easy for people to pop up and, and criticise David and to uh, suggest that he, uh, as the words being banded about, took a flyer. But you're dealing with the biggest club in the world and you're dealing with a, a situation um, that lots of people have got eyes on. So there is an onus on And there are lots of conflicting agendas there, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, I think that, that phrase that was used about taking a flyer and, and a couple of other things that people who are in the media put on social media over the weekend on the back of that story is quite, quite disrespectful. When they know mm. how football works, they know... Uh, uh, they know that respected journalists don't write stories mm. without having good information, without having it copper-bottomed, without, you know, you've sourced it one, two, three ways. And um, things can change. Look, I mean, at the start of the day on, uh, maybe Friday or start of Saturday morning, Jose Mourinho could be banging trouble. That that's There's absolutely no doubts about that. But then on the back of a stirring comeback like that, then... Mm. Does that make the board think, well, actually, look, let's just see how things go for another couple of weeks. We don't necessarily want to make a change. They might not even have their replacement lined up yet as well. It could be something as simple as that. I know uh, a phone call was put into Zidane or, or to Zidane's representatives a few weeks ago just to see whether mm. that was through uh, people in the background rather than from the... And the agent is director. saying that Zidane doesn't want to the agent, manage The it. agent has said that. He doesn't necessarily think the English game is suited him. So there's all sorts of things. I mean, think back to Mourinho sacking at, at Chelsea. Um, they had the Leicester result, wasn't it? And then he wasn't sacked until the following game. But the decision, mm. I think, had already been taken before then. And... and you know, there are all sorts of things go on behind the scenes. And I, I, you know, I think when uh, when when some when people who have criticised David this weekend, you know, they they don't know where he sourced that story from, and he wouldn't have written it without feeling it was on. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, I, it's funny really because had Mourinho gone, there would have been lots of outlets critical of David who would have seized upon the story and not given David any credit at all. Mm. I think with this industry and the way that we work, we work on uh, the basis that reporters get told stuff by people who don't want their names anywhere near it, who don't want to be. So you have to take people on trust and you as a reporter have to gauge the person who gives you that information in terms of how strongly you go with it. And I would suggest that David's information has been strong enough for him to take it and present it in the way that he did. And... It's just frustrating, really, that people who wait to, to... They set a lot of stores, set a lot of agendas by the national media, the national press, but they're very quick to kick the national press in the stomach when they present something that they don't like or it, it, there is an agenda that they don't like. We don't know what's going to happen now, but the international break is, is a long period during which... Clubs do tend to take decisions. I remember last year, four managers lost their jobs over the international break. Pulis, uh, Shakespeare, Koeman uh, and Bilic all lost their jobs. And I think over the last 10 years, you could probably find a small number of clubs that hadn't improved as a result of that decision being taken then. So, listen, all, all, of, the, all of that is background. 
I suppose what I'm trying to say is that as far as David is concerned, we know how David operates, we know the job that David does, and I would willingly stand here and say that David has taken the information that someone's given him and run with it, and he would not have taken a flyer. And story getting is the hardest part of being a football journalist as well, being a sports journalist, being any kind of journalist, you know, but breaking breaking news stories and, and having those contacts. And and it's it's what what's difficult for us is that Clubs, football clubs, these huge corporations can easily, I mean, they haven't done in this instance, but they can easily say, no, that's not true, mm. even when it is. That's and we've true. all been there. We've all written mm. stories where a club has denied it and said, that's not true. So, of course, we get a lot of stick about it. The story is true. You know, it, it, it's just it's one person or one, one newspaper railing against the football club and who are fans going to choose, you know, choose between. But, they, it, we, you know, this, we don't just do this. We don't just make stories up. We don't just pluck stories from behind our ears to, to you know, fill pages with. Um, certain, certainly not um, the people we're talking about. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. So, you know, credit to him for, for pulling mm. that story and, and going with it. You know, let's Having be the courage let, to go with it. Let's be fair to Mourinho. Um, his win percentage, 60.3%. Sir Alex Ferguson, 60.1%. A great coach with over a long career. Um, made the right positive changes at half-time, although, you know, you look at the way that McTominay was treated, mm. you wonder about how that will work, and you've got a manager saying he was scared. But does he deserve some credit for what he did on Friday? Uh, yes, he has to take a little bit of credit for it, but the players have to take uh, credit as well. Um, I just, again, I go back to the the, the, the seventy minutes. You know that who, they, they take yeah take credit for twenty minutes, but the bigger picture of all this is as Darren Darren used the phrase papering over the cracks at the start, and there there are, there are clearly huge issues at Manchester United, um, and and I I, I just. I, I just feel that it seems like it's gone too far now with with Mourinho and, and between the players. You know, look, we, you don't get the the camera images coming out of him and Pogba having an argument with each other. If you know things are going, even if things are going all right, you don't get those sorts of things coming out. Those sorts of things, those sorts of leaks, only happen when things are at rock bottom. I think for for me, what's been interesting with Mourinho. I mean, Ferguson was fantastic at always changing his assistants every two, three, four seasons. And he, he kept it very fresh. Uh, they brought, you know, I remember Steve McLaren coming in, putting on very different training sessions that freshened things up for the players there. You know, Carlos Quirez then came in and, and took over. Whereas Mourinho, he's always had Rui Freer alongside him, hasn't he? I know it's different this year. And I think Michael Carrick, it's a, a, not, not a great situation for him to be in at all, although he'll probably be learning. He'll, he'll be a, a hugely more experienced assistant manager for it. But I think that's perhaps what Mourinho's been guilty of over the years. He's not changing and, and revolving that door of his backroom staff to keep things fresh for the players. I think it's important to, to look at the pattern of the game as well. Mm. I mean, Which was a Saturday was, game, by the way. I, I, I said it was Friday in the slip of the tongue. No, no, no. Um, I, I think it's the Man United defence that don't know what day it is. <laughs> uh, I think as far as the, uh, <clears throat> the pattern of the game is concerned, they were one dodgy decision away from yeah. being buried. Yeah. And that decision was obviously Anthony Taylor not spotting the handball mm. from Ashley Young in the box from the free kick, not even looking at it. Um, for a game of that magnitude with the stakes on it was just, just remarkable, basically. Um, but And you do have to give Mourinho the credit. Um, the interesting thing about that question, though, is that the narrative afterwards, why always me? You know, I get blamed for everything. Mm. So if you're going to give him the credit for that recovery, then you have to give him the opprobrium that he's had for the state of play 
that Tom's just articulated just there. And I think as far... He came out afterwards and said, this is a manhunt, this is this, this is that. It's you are in charge of the biggest football club in the world. You know, you wanted the job. It's the pinnacle of your career so far. It, that's what comes with the territory. That's what came for David Moyes. That's what came for Louis van Gaal. And Louis van Gaal went out after winning the FA Cup. You are in charge of a, a collection of players who are performing below their abilities. Pogba's won the World Cup. Alexis ripped it up at Arsenal. We're not seeing any of that. Rashford's the best young talent you could argue in the country. You know, Lukaku's a goal machine. We are not seeing Manchester United play the way they have done. Paul Lynch refers in an interview today. It's very strong, perhaps too strong. But he refers to Mourinho as a dinosaur. Now, I I don't agree with that. I don't think he's a dinosaur. The guy's won four titles in four different countries um, and he's won two Champions but Leagues. I get what he's talking about because his, his style is command and control. Exactly. Whereas a, a Gareth Southgate is a good example of this sort of modern, em empathetic, emotionally intelligent manager. Mm. Absolutely. And if you look at some of the other managers around the Premier League, Pochettino is like a father figure to his Spurs players in the way that he relates to them. Everything's in-house. Uh, Guardiola would rather lie in public, you know, as he tried to bury the whole Benjamin Mendy thing rather than admit there was an issue. That gets done in-house. Jurgen Klopp as well. He's very protective over his players. Now, I think as far as Mourinho is concerned, the way that he manages is rubbing players up the wrong way. Now, we would, as journalists, would never say, you know, don't come out and talk. If you want to tell us what's going on, we'll take it all day long, mm. you know. But in terms of the recipe for a successful football club, it doesn't work that way. I, I think there's, there's so much respect for Marino from our industry because he, he gets he gets that, you know, we need good interviews, we need good sound bites, and he's, he's fed us that. And he, he said as much when we had a, a dinner in his honour, didn't we, uh, not, not too yes. many years ago. And yeah. he, he said, look, I, kn I know what you're looking for, I know, I know, so, and I've always welcomed you in. And but what made me laugh uh, at the weekend was he, he called it a manhunt. And, and talked about how he was being singled out. I mean, I actually felt sorry for him because this isn't a man who's put himself in the limelight, is it, for the last 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and this is the thing, you know, just wants it both ways. So I, 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 I don't I don't. You no, know, you are know. right. He, when he came into English football, he made it all about him. He personalised it. You know, himself against uh, Benitez, himself against Wenger, himself against Ferguson. You know, although he, was, he obviously had a long-term view as far as Man United are concerned, so it wasn't as strong as it could have been. But with some of the other managers, it was vitriolic. Mm. And, and he did make it all about him in the good times. Now, in the difficult times, it remains about him. And I don't really see that he could be in a position to complain about it. OK, let's move it on a bit. Um, as you said, Darren, uh, this is the traditional killing field, isn't it? The international break. Who's in trouble? I think Mark Hughes is in big trouble. Um, I, I look at the Southampton team. I think they're winless since November 2017 at home in the league. Uh, the players are bereft of confidence. Maya Ishida, the defender, was very, very scathing when he said, look, there's no point denying that we're in trouble. It's only October. You know, um, I think that you look at the, them yesterday, they couldn't defend, they couldn't take their chances. And um, I would imagine the Southampton hierarchy, who gave him a job on the back of him saving them from relegation. And then gave him a three-year contract. Gave him a three-year contract. That was a little bit of a gamble because at the moment, there is nothing to suggest right now that they're going to stay up. 
I, I would also suggest Cardiff are in big trouble as well. I mean, we know Neil Warnock is a scrapper. Uh, the players actually were better. I was at the game on Saturday against Spurs and uh, they looked better than they have done. But the fact is they're on their worst run in the top flight in their history. Um, and they just can't score goals. They make elementary mistakes at the back. It's a recipe for disaster. How far over the top did Warnock go on Harry Kane? Too far, I thought, because... Kane was justified in being upset at what was a cynical, thuggish challenge. The, you know, in the picture... <laughs> so I just, I just had in my mind's eye the video of Neil and, his, and the, 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 what he was actually saying to Harry. That's on the video as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was... Um, Expletive deleted. Expletive yeah. deleted, yeah. indeed. Um, I spoke to Harry afterwards, actually, uh, and Harry said, look, managers get angry. Yeah. There was no attempt to play the ball, you know, and players have the camaraderie where if they see one of their mates getting hurt in that way, they're going to stick up for him. I, I, I really, I can see why Neil, I can see why Neil said what he said, because obviously he wants to retain that defence of his players. You know, he wants to keep them all on side, but there's no justification. You know what? That challenge was worth two red cards. <laughs> I, I, you know, I disagree with Darren. I, well, I agree with you about the, the. It was a red card. Maybe not two. I didn't. I thought. You know, I sort of didn't. Wasn't that. Not looking at the by. ball. Not looking at the ball. But the challenge above the knee. Okay. <laughs> Back in the seventies, this would that would that would have been wave play on. No. But, uh, yeah, but there were a lot of reprehensible things that happened yeah. in the seventies <laughs> that we wouldn't. The only thing I was. Now. The only thing I, I do disagree with is that he went. That Neil Warnock went too far. He called him a name. It, look, it's football. You know, we, we, Ricky Hatton always uses the analogy, it's boxing, not tiddlywinks. It's professional sport. It's a contact sport. People say things to each other, and I think shouting one relatively offensive word at Harry Kane is water off a duck's back. He's not going to bother about that. Right. OK, well, managers are um, susceptible to pressure, let us say. Now, you're at Palace. Um, how's Roy Helchen getting on? Um, uh, well, Roy, Roy Hodgson desperately needs a striker who can find the back of the net. Um, it's quite interesting as the, the question was asked to him and, and the journalist who asked him was clearly trying not to upset him uh, when he brought up the statistic about them not having scored in what was then four games. And uh, he, he said... He said he sort of gauged it with oh, Roy. You, you've not um, you've not scored for three games, and before he could get to the end of it, Roy said, "Well, it's four now, isn't it? And if we don't <laughs> score next time, it'll be five. And you could see like this sort of trying to keep a lid on it, but being you know he's, he's obviously annoyed about it. There were there were boos from the fans as well. Um, uh, that they it is unfortunately. Uh, I, I thought it was probably a little bit disrespectful a few weeks ago when we were all saying it is unless Wilf performs. Mm. They're not getting anywhere, but unfortunately, it's beginning to look more and more like that. That if Wilfred Zaha doesn't score, then then there is an issue for Crystal well, Palace. If you're, if you're relying on Christian Benteke to come back and score, you've yeah. got problems, haven't uh, you? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's not going to happen. So um, yeah, there are there are issues. I don't think Roy Hodgson's in any any sort no. of trouble though. I mean, he's, he's no, did no, a fantastic no. job there last year. And if you look at their start to the season last year, mm. compared to they were still waiting well, for their nice. first win at this stage, weren't they? So so they're 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 well well ahead. But yeah. um, I think uh, it's going to be another average. Season. How do we? How do we see the Rafa situation playing out at Newcastle? You know, we had the great peace dinner last week. Roll till we? the end of the season, won't it? And it'll, there'll be there'll be as, as few bumps in the road as they can possibly make between Mike Ashley and Rafa. I think around January you might you might there might be a, a slightly bigger bump than uh, there has been since the end of August when no one's brought in. But I think 
you know, I think we'll probably see Newcastle make a couple of loan signings. But I, I actually, you know, you can see both sides of the story. I don't know what your your take is on this, Darren. But if I was Mike Ashley and I'd got Rafa Benitez saying I'm not basically staying beyond the end of my contract because you're not giving me what I want, then why would you give him loads of money to go and spend at this point? If and and if I mean, he may be privy to information that the rest of us don't know that Rafa's told him I'm going whatever happens and then but if you're Rafa you're also you are annoyed about the fact that you're not getting the backing that you feel you deserve so I feel like this season for Newcastle it's just a case of riding it through and, and they're in between this rock and a hard place so just see it out and then they have to try and find a manager who they're not going to get another manager on Rafa's level uh, come the end of the season but they have to try and find someone who will build that club now and, and maybe almost do the sort of job that Eddie Howe has been doing at Bournemouth for the last few years. You know, go and find a young manager who they will say to him, look, we'll, we'll back you steadily for the next few years, but you've got to, to rebuild it properly. Mm. The only problem is if you get a young manager in at Newcastle, then you can push him around. I mean, you've got a manager of the calibre of Rafa Benitez there and you're not backing him. I honestly cannot understand why he's still there. I thought he'd have left ages ago because quite clearly Mike Ashley is a guy who promises one thing and delivers something several levels below what you're expecting. And I think as far as Benitez is concerned, he can do better than that. And you know, normally around about this time of year at Sam Allardyce's red phone starts to ring and the clubs ring him up. I, I, Benitez is right there. Go and get Benitez because he deserves far better than Newcastle are giving him at the moment. Might be a job at Real Madrid soon, won't they? Yeah, well, indeed. Um, you know, and we know that management's a, you know an offshoot of the fashion industry to a large degree. I think you know we've been talking off air that it looks likely that Thierry Henry will link up with John Terry at Aston Villa. Mm. Is that a vanity appointment? Um, a little bit, maybe, uh, but I, I think. I think it could be a good appointment. Um, I, I'm a Derby fan, so I, I look at the appointment that, uh, of, of Frank Lampard in the summer. But not just of Frank, of, of Jody Morris as well, of, of Chris Jones, who's come in with a good reputation from Chelsea, and of Shea Given. Um, and, and they've brought in four young players who uh, the players can relate to. Young lads such as Mason Mount, Harry Wilson have followed these lads' careers, and now they're getting the chance to work with them day after day. And... Some weeks it's working, some weeks it's working extremely well, some weeks it's not working at all. I'm thinking of Derby going to Bolton on the back of winning at Old Trafford and, and losing that game, but you're going to get that. So I, I, I think Villa are probably looking at Henri and Terry and thinking, well, why not bring that fresh air in? And we talked about Mourinho as a, as a dinosaur, in, in inverted commas, and, and the fact that some people maybe see him that way now. And if you think about some of the lads that Mourinho is, is coaching, I mean, you know, but when he was really in his pomp, and, and I'm thinking, you know, the, the first spell at Chelsea and then uh, the Inter Milan and, and Real Madrid, how many of those young young lads coming through the ranks at Old Trafford would really remember him? Uh, you know, have been paying too much attention of what he was doing. Whereas the young lads who are at Villa now will have watched Thierry Henry, they'll have watched John Terry, they'll have worked with Terry last year. So, uh, yes, it, it's a gamble, but I, th I think if they can breathe the same breath of fresh air into Villa that uh, Frank Lampard has breathed into Derby and Stephen Gerrard, of course, has, has seems to have breathed into Rangers as well, then I think it would be a decent appointment. I think football, and I've thought it for a long time uh, before the season, needs fresh ideas. It needs fresh faces. We are, uh, in, in recent years, over the last 10, 15 years, we've just been recycling the mm. same names. Uh, in the last couple of seasons, 
it, it absolutely was the same names over and over again. Men who had failed in other jobs, we were giving that we were rewarding that failure with another big project. It's time to bring younger men in. And if it's not a gamble for Lampard to go to Derby or for Gerard to go into Rangers, then why would it be a, a, a gamble for Henri to go to Villa? And the point you make is absolutely true. A lot of those players will idolise Henri. They'll idolise John Terry. And both those guys will be desperate to make an impact themselves. They'll have good ideas. Um, you look at the way that... Um, Henri has had the input he's had with the coaching staff of Belgium and the little tweaks that he's done to help them to get to uh, the World Cup semi-finals. They're attacking players, they're playing with much more freedom. On the international stage, Lukaku makes intelligent decisions that kind of belie this idea that he doesn't think enough about the game. And I think you look at Aston Villa and the young players they've got there as well. I think those players will respond to both of them. And defensively, you know, you look at how the consistency they had in defence when on, uh, John Terry was a player. He goes there as a coach who can work with that back line. And maybe they might not be as porous as they have been. I think there is every reason to be excited mm. about that decision. When, before the World Cup, I went out to see Roberto Martinez um, to do a piece about Belgium's hopes at the at the tournament, and um, we spoke a little bit about Henri because there was uh, I mean, he's been linked with every every managerial yeah. vacancy going, hasn't he? But there was a little bit of talk then, and and uh, Martinez, you know, look, you, you wouldn't expect him to be uh, publicly dismissive of, of Henri, but he said then like, he's he's absolutely management material. He's ready now. Uh, I hope he goes after the World Cup. Um, you know, I want him to see that through with me, but he's he's ready for whichever job because of his experience at Arsenal, his experience at Barcelona, even the experience in the MLS has, mm. has set him well. But that that's, I say, that's sort of something that you would expect a manager to say. But he then went into the detail about just him him knowing how players' minds are these days. You know, he knows how players think, he knows what they want, knows what they don't want, knows how to... And, and you know, that man management that, again, young players will be able to... Re they'll say, well, if, if Thierry could put up with that when he was a player then actually maybe I need to put up with it and maybe I need to learn from him. So I I, I think it could. I mean, we might be sitting here in six months and it, it, it was a bad mistake and they should have I given it. I don't think we will. No, I think I there's think a dynamism about both men. Yeah. And I think you look at Gerrard and Rangers and the way they played and the, the, the way they play. People will deride the league and fair enough, that's not a problem. But the fact is all he can do is go and improve the players that he's got. Go in and give them a new level of professionalism. Help them to pass the ball, to score goals, to be more confident on the pitch, to illuminate the, the fan base. And He's done all of those things and they're in a really good, consistent run. Um, and I think as far as Henri and, 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 and Terry are concerned, Villa need that kind of dynamism at the moment because everybody said in the summer when he was linked, why would you give it to him? Give it to a more experienced name. Well, a, a more experienced name had that job and they are where they are now. Now it's probably better to, to go in a different direction. You spoke of, of man management, Tom. It's three years to the day since Liverpool appointed Jurgen Klopp. Um, you know, we go into the break with three teams on 20 points. Um, you know, Liverpool have gone through a hard schedule. How well-placed are they? I think they're very well-placed. Um, I think look, the, the general consensus, and Klopp, Klopp said it himself, didn't he, after the, uh, the draw against Manchester City, that even though they had those great results against them last season, he felt that the game uh, on, on Sunday reflected better on them. He felt that they showed that they were a closer side to, to being at the same level as Manchester City. And I think the respect that, that City showed them 
shows that they recognised it as well. I mean, look, the, the the two Champions League games will have been in Manchester City's minds going into this fixture and they will have said, look, whatever happens, we do not concede three goals in, in a mm. short space of time. But, yeah, I, I think... I think we looked at that and I still think Maurizio Sarri, I know Chelsea are playing very, very well, but I still think Sarri's right that, that Chelsea are maybe one level down from Liverpool and Manchester City. So I think I think Jurgen Klopp has, has done fantastically well. I think they've recruited superbly and they, they've, they've recruited with a couple of good players, good, solid players every year. Uh, he defended Carrius to the hilt when... He knew himself he needed a new goalkeeper and likewise with Mignolet. And then all of a sudden this season, it's it's almost a case of, right, we're, we're ready now. Everything that I've been doing for the last couple of years was just to get us to this point. Yeah, and it's a, this is a long-term strategy, isn't it? Uh, Johnny Northcroft, you know, our colleague, did a really good piece at the weekend about you know, the long-term nature of the courtship and you know, the, the integral uh, way that... Um, um, uh, the, the guys from Boston work with, with yeah. you know, the homegrown recruiters. Yeah, and, uh, and I think uh, that all of that is coming to fruition now. Mike Gordon, Mike Edwards, the guys uh, who work behind the scenes, the guys who work on bringing players in, um, who were integral to bringing him in. Uh, and, and Johnny was saying, you know, Liverpool had to be ready for a Jurgen Klopp. They had to have the ambition, the wherewithal to be able to give Klopp what he needed to be able to take them to the next level. And you look at the work he's done since then, not just about the recruitment, you look at the development of Joe mm, Gomez, you yeah. look at the development of Ter uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who I have to not call Terence Trent Derby. Um, <laughs> I, I think you look at the... the, the Showing your age there, mate. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah. Um, and some musical <laughs> taste as well. <laughs> um, I think if you look at Liverpool as a team, they're not reliant on any one player anymore. There are different points of attack. Defensively, they're more porous, haven't conceded at home since February. Uh, lots of people last year, they were the butt of many jokes because they couldn't defend, although they were so good going forward. But he's gradually eliminated all of the weaknesses within that team. And now he's changed the image of the club. They're no longer seen as underachievers. OK, they do have to win something. But people talk about Liverpool once again with far more respect than they had done previously. And that isn't just down to him, mm. but that as indeed, it is indeed down to the work that Mike Edwards, Mike Gordon, um, FSG with their backing of, of Jurgen Klopp um, has done. And there's almost a neat symmetry now because I think his first game was 0-0, wasn't it? Goldest draw against Spurs and now obviously the goldest draw yesterday. But... Yesterday's goalless draw was with a team that probably haven't hit top gear yet and will do, I think, as, as the season goes on. And when you think about it, they haven't hit top gear and they're second in the league mm. and people are still looking at them knowing that, you know, you, mentioned, you, you, you disrespect them and you get a good old shoe in it. You, you, you mentioned February as well. It's almost like something quite seismic happened in January that completely changed Liverpool's fortunes, isn't it? Yeah, but then that goes back Van to Dijk. recruitment. I'm Van, Van Dijk. Dijk. I mean, yeah. you know, that they, they have been... That, that was the signing that, for me, really took them on to the next level. I know Mo Salah got all the plaudits last year, and rightly so, he was, he was mm. incredible last season. But the signing of Van Dijk was that, I thought, a real line in the sun. With, with, was... with, sorry, uh, Darren, with, with Salah, you mentioned mm. it there, how worried would you be 
with that front three at the moment? Not, not worried at all. Um, we, we sat here roughly a year ago and I remember uh, trying to make a joke about the fact that if his conversion rate was, was better, yeah. you'd have a great striker on your hands. I mean, look, I think, I think probably what we're seeing about Mo Salah is, I mean, his conversion rate at the start of last season was pretty poor, wasn't it? You know, it, was, it took him six weeks to really get, I know the old goal there here and there, but it took him six weeks to start putting away the chances. And I, I think you're looking at a man who he's, he's, you know, he needs to score a couple of goals and, and the rest will come. I don't think he'll, I don't know if he'll ever have a season again like last season. I think what we're seeing this year is probably a bit closer to him. But how, how, can, you be, how can you be worried about a forward line of Firmino, Salah and Mane. I mean, they're just, they're all great talents, great individuals, great collectively. Um, and, and I think as soon as, as soon as it takes one goal for, for each of them to click and they'll be away. This is the thing, I mean, if you look at Salah, it's not just what he's done at Liverpool, he's, what he's done at Roma, it's what he's done with Fiorentina. You know, he's done it with Egypt as well, carried the pressure of that nation on his back. He had an injury, obviously, as we all know, in the Champions League final. And then there was this explosion of interest in him as well after what happened at the Champions League final and he's rushed to get back. He probably should have not even gone to the World Cup, really. He should have just had the entire summer to relax. But Tom's right. He started last season the way he has done this time around. Actually, so far this season, his record isn't even that bad. I, I just think that give him that time and once he gets that time, he'll be the player that he was and I think he'll probably even go on to another level. Yeah. It's another, another old cliche. I mean, we talk about the one with the uh, the managers only in trouble when the board, but, you know, strikers getting into positions. At Chelsea last week, he, he was actually the liveliest of, of the three strikers or the three front men for, for Liverpool and created the chances. Yes, the finishing, he wasn't as clinical as he was last season. But again, that, as Darren says, you know, the, the amount of mental pressure Salah has been under for the last year or so, and particularly the last six or seven months, uh, it, it's a lot to deal with. And I, I think we'll probably, he probably just needs it. It, it could almost be another old fashioned look. Go away and have a holiday. Just go and have a week somewhere. Um, whether it's you know whether it's sometime in November, they send him away for a few days. Have a break from training. Get away from it all. Switch off and then come back and we'll go again. And that it's just that spot that's missing. Yeah. How much more is there to come from City? It's <laughs> <coughs> not monster on there. I mean, you know that. Okay, Aguero's record at Anfield isn't that good. Uh, Ten games, zero goals. But we all know he's a supreme striker. We all know that Jesus is is is. I would say exactly what I say about Liverpool for City. City have proven their, their title. They've won the thing. You know, we know how good they are. We know how much better they can become. Yeah, they've had a few bumps in the road during the summer, but there is nothing whatsoever to suggest that City can't win the league again. And if anything, um, they, they now obviously are starting to get into top gear in the Champions League. But I remember being at West Ham, I think it was last season or maybe the season before, where Guardiola described his front three, Sane, Jesus and Sterling as the future of Manchester City. And you look at the combination of pace, ingenuity, creativity, cutting edge, they've got several levels to go yet. I think that there is nothing whatsoever wrong. It's sad, really, that we're talking about all that on the back of a goalless draw yesterday. Mm. But, you know, we, we all know what they're going to bring to winning, the table. Winning matches without De Bruyne as well for the, yeah. for the last few weeks. So, yeah. I, I, the, the one thing that City have, of course, still got over Liverpool is that experience of closing out a title. That now, you know, that mm. knowing come April when the pressure really starts to mm. ramp up and 20 however many years of hurt that you've not won the Premier League title. You know, the fans all of a sudden start getting excited about it. Is this going to be the year it happens? Mm. Are we going to finally do it? 20, 28 years, isn't it? Are we finally going to do it? And that 
that will be where City, for me, are just still ahead of Liverpool. Just a big difference from last year, very quickly, Mike. You know, Klopp could rest um, Salah and Firmino and maybe give Sturridge and Shaqiri a couple of games. You know, that's a difference between Liverpool this season and yeah. last season. They do have that depth. Um, so I, I wouldn't have any worries about either side, but it's by no means a two-horse race at all. No. Well, if you're looking at Chelsea, Chelsea either win it or they're rubbish, basically. Um, they had a you know, relatively poor season last season. Um, what I found really interesting on, on Sunday was almost like the redemption of, of Ross Barkley. Mm. He looks a different player um, to when he was, uh, to when he performed at Everton. The reason for that, I think, is that there is less pressure on him. He's now there as a cog in the wheel, whereas everyone's looking at this bright young thing. Maybe we played a part in that because we as a media, we always described him as some sort of wonder kid with one sandal, you know, when really he was just a promising youngster who was making his way in the game. Um, and I think as far as he is concerned, being surrounded by players who can finish off the chances that he provides for them uh, could actually take the heat off him and, and help him his game to improve. But certainly at Chelsea, he's going uh, to do great things. And yeah, Arsenal, yeah. nine wins in a row. They were chanting, we've got our Arsenal back yesterday. Um, how seriously do you take that? Uh, I, I, I find... I we find it. We, we know he, Darren's laughing because he knows what's coming. <laughs> we, we spoke about this before we came on out. I, I find it astonishing that Arsenal fans were singing, we've got our Arsenal back. Um, they've, they beat Fulham convincingly. They've beaten Everton, who I would expect them to, to beat. They've beaten Newcastle United, who I would expect them to beat. They've beaten Cardiff, who I would expect them to beat, whether Emery or Arsene Wenger was in charge. They were always accused of being flat-track bullies when Wenger was in charge. And at the moment, I'm not seeing anything too much different from that. They lost against Manchester City opening day of the season. Mitigating factor, of course, is that Emery's only just come in, still getting to grips with these players, they're still getting to grips with the manager. Against Chelsea in the first half hour, they were absolutely awful, as, as bad an Arsenal side as I've seen for any of the last 10 years of Arsene Wenger's reign. So I'm not going to get too carried away on the back of them beating uh, a few of the Premier League sides that I would expect them to be and uh, a, a Ukrainian side that I would expect them to be and a side from Azerbaijan that I would expect them to be. I think, yes, it's promising. I'm pleased for the fans that they're happy again. Uh, I still think the way some of them treated Arsene Wenger was an absolute disgrace. Um, so, I, but I don't—they're not title contenders for me. I, well, I just, we'll, know, we'll know more on November the third when they when they play Liverpool at home. Give him an argument. <laughs> Well, the one thing I do agree with him was I, I do sympathise over the treatment of Arsene Wenger. But the reason for the treatment of Arsene Wenger was because Arsenal were losing yeah. against all the sides that you mentioned, you know, or drawing. You know, their performance against the so-called weaker teams in the Premier League last season and in recent seasons hadn't been good enough. 20-odd years of qualifying year after year for the Champions League and, and every manager now would, would take that. Every manager take, would, would take qualification for the Champions League. Only one team could win the league. The, but they didn't qualify for the Champions League. No, I know, I know that. No, but they, they had a very good run and people were turning even before they failed to yeah, qualify. Yeah, but they don't the pay. Champions well, League. they probably were. But the fact is that in recent seasons... This was the bit we agreed on, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the, let's deal with the form. Because I think, <clears throat> as far as the form is concerned, 
that they are they've built up consistency. Winning the title is about consistency, and that's what they've built up. We might decry the level of the opposition, but the fact is you can't argue with the nine wins out of nine. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with that. I'm arguing with the statement of we've got our Arsenal back. Like they, they have, because we've got our Arsenal challenge. back isn't a statement about the title, uh, about title contention. It's a statement about the balance between defence and attack is the statement about the expression of uh, football. You look at the, the Aaron Ramsey goal and the way the move started in their own and penalty they, box. They, and they, they scored goals the like that every year under Wenger. Yeah, but what they now have is a consistent run of wins. They've got two strikers up front in Aubameyang and uh, Lacazette who will score in excess of 20 goals a season. Their records tell you that. They've got creativity behind them. Makaterin marooned at uh, Manchester United on the bench under pressure, you know, basically frustrated. Duke's a different player. You wonder where Ozil's going to fit into all of that. But as far as Arsenal are concerned... I think there is every reason to look at that team and say, yeah, they could be in the mix if will, they continue will you, will that. Will you book Darren and me in for the final show of the season? And <laughs> Done. We'll, see, Done. we'll see whether they really have got their Arsenal back then. Yeah. We'll see whether they're singing We've Got Our Arsenal Back at Old Trafford. We'll see it at the Etihad. We'll see it at Stamford... Well, I've obviously played at Stamford Bridge. You know, we'll see it at, at White Hart Lane or Wembley, wherever that game ends up being played. I just, I, yeah. just don't think, I just don't think it's quite as yeah, positive. Right, as you buy like, dinner if they don't... Conti- if, if they don't at least compete for the title yeah you buy dinner right yeah done that's what I love I love it right yeah amazingly enough it's it's international by the way (laughs) (laughs) you didn't say where yeah yeah. it's international week funnily enough we better talk about that to a degree you know England have got you know games in Croatia and Spain Uh, new contract for Gareth Southgate a lot of new faces sense of optimism yeah, absolutely. A uh, good young squad, um, a good manager to whom the players relate. Um, I like the continuity of keeping a manager beyond one tournament. doesn't happen uh, very often because we uh, tend to overreact. Uh, but we're all in love with England again. You know, we saw it at the World Cup. Uh, OK, you can criticise the teams that they played against, but the fact is we've dropped points, just a little bit like Arsenal, we've dropped points and stumbled against teams like that. We've got our England back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I think absolutely the right thing to continue with the continuity. What I would argue with um, ever so slightly is the fact that you're including a, a championship player and a player with, what, ten Premier League ga- eight Premier League games under his belt. It used to be harder, and Southgate did say last season, uh, I think, oh, sorry, earlier this season, that he didn't want to give uh, away England caps freely. And he's given basically a couple of rookies who hardly played in the Premier League uh, England caps got to start somewhere and, and, and also Mount, you... Mount did very well last season abroad didn't he did yeah. very well yeah, with Vitesse but not in England, not in England. No, no I know but, but it's still playing in a, a top flight of, of mm. European football in a very weak league well, look, you, you still, it's still better than some of the options yeah. Gareth Southgate's got I think this really? time I, and, and, in two, and, and in two years Sturridge has had his chance so, what do you only get one chance at England then? Sturridge only had one chance. Do you only? But do you only? No, get, I think Sturridge, I mean, is Sturridge not playing well. This I, I think yes, yeah, Sturridge. Look, Sturridge is playing well, and he and he scored. The, I mean, the, the goal at Chelsea was absolutely fantastic. But you know, you wouldn't learn anything about Daniel Sturridge taking him in the next couple of games, would you? Whereas, whereas you Croatia might as well... And make our do, do we care about the nation? But, but, but the, no, I, 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 you see, I think you, you look at the nation, the nation's cup. I, I agree with Jurgen Klopp, who called it a senseless competition. You know, why should you, um, you know, 
basically base your selection policy on something where it's not that important whether you win or lose. I, I know, I'm probably with you, Tom, two, in terms two years of time, young, younger, you know, younger players. But here's the thing, here's the, the thing, guys. Here's the thing. What we need to do, uh, there, there is a combination for the England manager, which is obviously very tricky to navigate, but you need to retain the sense of optimism within the nation and win football matches. Mm. If you lose football matches, that sense of optimism goes down. As much as we love uh, Southgate, ahead of the game, what was the game at Leicester? Uh, Switzerland. With, uh, Switzerland. Ahead of that Switzerland game, that statistic about us not losing three games in a row was being, since goodness knows when, was being bandied about. Yeah. The England manager has to win football matches. How can you leave out somebody with the cutting edge to help you to do that okay. and say that we're making... But, but you've... Sorry, I don't yeah. want to move it on a bit, Tom. Yeah, sure. um, we'll carry on afterwards, now. Yes, OK. Declan Rice. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, he, to me, you know, there is, uh, you know, a very good example of, you know, quite a broad selection policy. You've looked at someone, you've identified him, you're going to go and get him. Yeah. Should he play for England? No. No, I, I, I really don't think he should. Um, uh, Stan Collymore wrote a good piece about this in his column last week um, and I, I completely agreed with him. Uh, under 21, by the time you're an under 21 international, you know which country you want to commit to. You know in your head which... Uh, which country you've identified with the most. And I look, I understand people grow up in, in mixed households and, and, you know, you have an affinity towards both countries. Um, but you should know at that sort of age whether you, whether you want to play for Ireland or whether you want to play for England. And I, I just think once he's made... Now, that's at 21's level. Now, I think, I think the whole ruling is absolutely out of order that you can play friendly games for a country, and just because it's not a competitive fixture, you, think you can then switch allegiances. I just think that's—I just think it's wrong. So whether he's good enough, maybe he is good enough, but I just don't think once he's played for Ireland, he should then be playing for England. Okay. Um, just want to rattle through a, a couple of questions from the listeners and the viewers. We'll be running out of time. Uh, one from Mark Umney uh, for you, Darren, if I could. Uh, could we conceivably have all our top young talent playing abroad within the next few years? No. And if so, would that devalue the Premier League? It wouldn't devalue the Premier League because we're still, um, it's still a fantastic product. We've still got top-line players over here. But what we're seeing with Sancho going abroad, I think Adamola Lookman uh, had a good time when he went to mm. Leipzig and possibly should have gone again. Um, and, and basically, those players will encourage other players. Mm. You know, Loftus-Cheek should be playing football, you know, not kicking his heels at Chelsea. So... We could well have a situation where young players go abroad and follow the likes of Sancho and, and getting regular first-team football, getting a good education, playing alongside quality players as well, if it helps them into the England side. So it won't devalue the national team. Or it certainly won't devalue the Premier League. I think it will help the national side. It'll enhance the Premier League because players will come back better players and, and yeah. if they get an opportunity to come back, then they're going to jump at it. Well, you look at Sancho and you know the assists, he's, was it eight or nine assists he's already had. Um, this one for you, Tom, uh, from Brian Cannon-Hunter. Is Eddie Howe the most underrated football manager in the country? Good question. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a bad place to answer this because I actually thought Bournemouth might struggle this year and could go. <laughs> there, so, uh, I've got to, I've got to mere culpa on that one. Hold my hands up. Um, he's, I, I, no, I actually think people have got a lot of respect for Eddie and, and rate him very highly. I mean, I think he is, he is doing a, a great job. I think he's got 
Callum Wilson and Joshua King scoring goals this season, which was perhaps what wasn't happening as much as it should have done last year. Um, but no, I, I, Great I punt on David Brooks. And he, oh, he did, off. he did, yeah. absolutely. But I, no, I, I don't think he is underrated. I think maybe maybe there's a perception from Bournemouth fans that uh, their, their side don't get the, the sort of airtime and talked about as much as they should. But I think uh, I think everyone thinks that Eddie Howe is doing a terrific job. Okay, uh, finish with a question on on Manchester United. Uh, Joel Shooter. Looking at some of the United sides that Sir Alex managed to get performing, is it reasonable to assume that he was effectively holding everything together and the collapse was inevitable? No. I think the collapse came about because when David Moyes came in and replaced Sir Alex, uh, some of the people who had done, uh, who were behind, working so hard behind the scenes behind Sir Alex, went out as well. And that was a real shame because had they retained the core of that coaching squad, maybe the transition uh, would have been a bit easier and maybe so many players wouldn't have been kind of disaffected by what was a sharp gear change. Um, but I don't think it was Sir Alex holding everything together as such. I think Maybe that... you could see what was coming as well. Mm, possibly, yeah. but then what, what was coming? What, £500 million worth of investment over the subsequent six, five, six years? I mean, I think he did great with the players that he had. And, and I just think that getting rid of, you know, Rennie Mullenstein and I think mm. Paul McGuinness left. Some of the players, people mm. behind the scenes, that, that the coaches who've done so well, worked so well with the young players, and that what, you, lose, you lose them, and for what? I think he knew that the team needed rebuilding, though. That's my point. That, that he, he'd rebuilt the side, what, three times? Do we think mm. he had four teams that he probably had over his duration? And, and I think he knew that it was ready for another rejig and, and that's probably was why he thought yeah this is the right time to go okay um very brief answers to two questions uh, all in one please who wins the premier league and will united make the top four i don't think united will make the top four and i think uh, liverpool win the premier league manchester city and yes well i'm out and i'll in here as well but i still fancy liverpool united top four don't think so thanks for joining us here on the football writers podcast Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.